If you'll turn in your Bible this morning to John chapter 7. We'll be there in a minute. There's a couple of things I'd like to explain. We're going to be talking about something this morning that is a common mistake, I think, for humans to have. It's part of the culture that we live in and the things that sometimes we don't see exactly like Jesus wants us to see it. You know, the Bible talks about that we as Christians are not to make our decisions anymore using our natural reasoning, the vanity of the mind, the emptiness of our minds. but to use the Holy Spirit to make our decisions. There's two kinds of reasoning in the Bible. There's natural reasoning, they say, like the Gentiles do, and who they were talking about, that Jesus first came to the Jews, and none of the Gentiles at the time had Jesus. They had, none of them had salvation. So he was saying... What Paul was saying was don't try to make your decisions with your natural reasoning like people who do not have Jesus have to use. But there's another reasoning. This this word that means to consider stuff or to think about stuff. And it's called spiritual reasoning. And the Holy Spirit of God is behind that. And that's the way in our mind that we come to the things that are God. He puts these ideas in our head, the Holy Spirit does, and then we work it out. He says in another place for us to work out our own salvation. And we have to think it out as he puts these clues in our mind from Scripture and from the world and from each other. This is not about me as a teacher or a preacher this morning. I want to make that statement to start with. I was called to teach in 79. And at that time, I didn't know a lot. Didn't think I did. And then I was called to preach in 20, uh, 2002. And in both of those instances, I backed up. I said, oh, wait a minute now. Lord, I don't know for sure you're calling me. I don't know if I can handle this. But by the time I was called to preach, I knew the book of James pretty good. And listen to what James wrote, the brother of Jesus now. He says in chapter 3 and verse 1, Be not many teachers. Don't let there be many teachers, he says. Knowing that we shall receive the greater condemnation or damnation. When we make a mistake, when a teacher makes a mistake, that is teaching as a representative for God, it comes down a lot harder on him, guys, 
and girls than any, does anybody else. Oh, watchman Nee that I study some said the worst thing that ever happened to a church was a volunteer. Now I know that sounds a lot, of, a lot different than what we've seen in so many of our churches. I mean, I've been in churches where they were going around rounding up preachers. I meant teachers. To teach classes. Well, we got three classes we don't have a teacher for. Somebody's got to volunteer. They don't understand. Of course, the only way probably to find out a person has the gift of teaching is to start teaching. And so if you volunteer to teach and find out though in three or four Sundays that that's not for you, you need to be able to quit. And a church will run down a fellow to, you wouldn't believe it, because he quit teaching. If you do not have the gift of teaching, number one, you can't teach the Bible. Period. Because God won't be explaining it to you. It says in verse 2 of that thing, so it says, because in all things many people stumble. We all don't have it all right all the time. And because teachers and preachers catch so much harder damnation from God now. When we get it wrong, anybody that would want to be a preacher or a teacher without the call has got something wrong with them. Now I'm just telling you. Because the people who don't want the jobs are the ones who understand how serious the job is. You don't play up here behind this pulpit. You don't play with a Bible in your lap in a, in a Sunday class, classroom. You're not playing. And God is certainly not playing. It's a very, very serious undertaking. And we'll talk about this morning the attitude of most people, or most people that I know, about the education on a teacher and a preacher. Now I've got educators in all my, all my family. My mom was a, was a school teacher. My daughter was a school teacher. My brother was the dean of a college. He was a teacher. Teaching runs thick in my family. But you would be surprised how often my daughter was asked to take a Sunday school class because she was a secular school teacher up here at Mott of Allen Thompson. And she tried to explain to them, it's not the same. And it's not. And I'd like to show you a couple of things this morning that here I am, I'm 81, I don't know how long I'm going to be able to, to do this stuff. I'll do it as long as I can, but it's quite obvious I don't have as long a career as another fellow might. And there's some things I'd like for, for everybody, especially you guys, to know before I'm not around to tell you. So we'll look at John chapter 7 and verse 1. Now let me set the stage for you. 
Jesus was in Galilee. He was in his hometown. He was visiting with his family. I don't know whether you know it or not, Jesus had four brothers and at least two sisters that were younger than him. And he was visiting with his family. After these things, Jesus walked in Galilee. But there in that community is where the guy, they brought the guy to Jesus to heal that was in his bed. You remember they let him down through the roof and Jesus said, take up thy bed and walk. And the man stood up, started walking, never walked in his life, had his bed under his arm. And they laid him low because he healed on the Sabbath. <laughs> that was the Pharisees, the Jews. And they had it in for him. So he was walking in, in Galilee in his hometown. He would not walk in Jewry, J-E-W-R-Y. He couldn't get with the Jews because they all wanted to kill him. He couldn't go to Jerusalem because he's afraid they'd see him and kill him because the Jews sought to kill him. Now the Jews' feast of tabernacles was at hand. It was a time for the feast of tabernacles and everybody went to Jerusalem to celebrate the feast of the tabernacles. His brethren therefore, now this is his brothers. He's not talking about brothers in Christ. He's talking about brothers, brethren. His four brothers therefore said unto him, Depart, and go into Judea, that the Jerusalem, that thy disciples also may see thy works that thou do that you're doing. You you need to let people see this these miracles that you're creating. For there is no man that does anything in secret, and he himself seeketh to be known openly. If thou do these things, show thyself to the world. If you're going to make an Im impression with people, you need to show them the miracles you're doing, and healing people. That was his blood brothers that told him that. Verse 5, For neither did his brethren believe in him either. Because <laughs> they didn't believe he was the Christ. They, was, they wasn't scared of him going to Jerusalem because they didn't believe anybody was going to kill him anyhow because they didn't, didn't believe he was who he said he was. Then Jesus said unto them, My time is not yet come, but your time is already ready. He's telling his brothers, his blood brothers, look, you can go and be safe. I can't. The world cannot hate you, but me it hateth, because I testify of it that the works thereof are evil. He'd been telling the Pharisees and the Jews and the church, not the church, but the temple, the people in the temple, how they were sinning. And it made them feel guilty and they were all trying to kill him. Go ye up unto the feast. I go not up yet to this feast, for my time is not yet fully come. He told his brothers, y'all go on. But he said, I'm not going. But when his brethren, verse 10, were gone up, then he also went unto the feast, not openly, but as if it were in secret. He sneaked up there into the feast without telling anybody he was up there, hoping they wouldn't see him. Then the Jews sought him at the feast. The Jews started looking for him. 
He's a Jew. Surely he would be here at this Feast of Tabernacles. And there was much murmuring among the people concerning him, for some said, he's a good man. And others said, nay, but he deceiveth the people. Now, picture this, folks. This is people just like you and me. They're not, people hadn't changed that much in all these years. They drive fast now, and they used to ride a mule. But, I mean, it, times have changed. But the people, for the most part, have not changed. Here comes this guy into their community. He's healing people. And a bunch of folks are saying he's a good man, and a bunch of them are saying, nah, he's lying to folks. He's fooling everybody. But nobody, verse 13, spoke openly of him because they were afraid of the Jews. They were afraid if they said anything, the Jews might kill them. Now about the midst of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and started teaching. He just appeared all of a sudden in Jerusalem, and now he's in the, in the temple, and he's teaching in the temple. And here's what he said. And the Jews marveled, saying, verse 15, How knowest this man letters, having never learned? You know what they're saying? How does this guy stand up and speak to us and preach to us and teach us all these spiritual things and he's never been to school? They knew that. Because a little later they're going to say he can't be the Messiah because we know his brothers and his mother and his daddy. Isn't he the carpenter's son? He's raised right down the road down here. We all know him. How in the world could he be a Messiah? Jesus answered them because of what they said. How could he know anything not having an education? And Jesus answered them and said, My doctrine is not mine, but his that sent me. What I'm teaching you didn't come out of my head. It came from the one that sent me up here to show y'all what's going on. If any man will do his will, he shall know of the doctrine, whether it be of God or whether I speak of myself. Now listen to that. If any man wants to do God's will, if in your heart you want to please God, you will know the one who is teaching you, whether he's teaching you something out of his head or something that comes from God. That statement right there says it. And it's obvious. You listen to a man a few times, and as a Christian, God will give you the discernment to know whether or not that man's preaching out of his head or preaching from God. Is he preaching out of this Bible? And is he discerning it truthfully? Is he giving you the real interpretation? Or is he messing with your head? I have so many people ask me about the preachers on TV. Which ones they can listen to. 
the preachers on radio, which one they can listen to, which one they can't. Look at verse 24. Judge not according to the appearance, but judge righteous judgment. Don't look at the man that's doing the preaching or teaching, but listen to what he says. Is he teaching you right from the scriptures? Can you go to the book and back up what he's saying? That's what it's saying. That's what it takes. A man who I was in church with in 75 graduated from Southeastern Bible College. He's in North Alabama now. His son recently retired, and he, he told his daddy, he said, my church tells, I think I'm called to preach. Now what should I do? My church is trying to get me to go to school. He said, go and talk to Joe Clark. <laughs> now what bad has that got? But I told him, there is only one thing that a man needs to be a preacher. And that is the ear of God. A man needs to stand in the pulpit saying to the people that belong to God what God told him to say to them. And if he doesn't do that, you need to find another place. That's what it's all about. I have seen people that would call a preacher from four states over because he had a doctorate degree. I'm going to show you about that in a minute. But what God needs is preachers who are allowing God to tell them what to say. The prophets in the Old Testament, I've been studying them, God said himself, if they don't tell you the truth, you need to kill them. You need to stone them with stone. I've said not long ago that if the weather forecasters now were treated like the prophets in the Old Testament, we'd have a whole lot better idea about what the weather was going to do because every time they got something wrong, you'd kill one of them. <laughs> but that's what they said about the prophets in the Old Testament. If they tell you a lie, if they tell you the wrong thing, you're doing away with them. Now let me ask you this. What about a New Testament preacher? What about him? What if he tells you lies? What if he's preaching for himself? What if he's preaching to see how much money he can put away? I called and checked up on Samuel that was here from Uganda. And I found out that there were four other missionaries from that area in our area who had been preaching that they were feeding children in Uganda for about four, between four and five years, and three of them were already millionaires. So we need to use discernment and who we help from that country even, even in this area. By the way, I found out Samuel's okay. But I listened to his words, and I listened to what he was saying to me. 
and I asked him questions that could hem him up if he wasn't right. And he answered everything right. You listen, and you don't look at what a fellow looks like that's teaching you or preaching to you, but what he says is he's saying the right thing. Judge not according to the appearance, but judge according to righteous judgment. Is he right? Turn to Acts chapter 22. We're going to talk about another preacher teacher. Nobody other than Paul. Saul Paul. That little short guy that God made blind on the road to Damascus. Listen to his own testimony in Acts chapter 22 and verse 3. Acts chapter 22 and verse 3. A mob was trying to kill him and the captain of the guard heard about it and he come and took put his soldiers around him to keep the mob from killing Paul. And Paul was standing up and said, let me explain to them who I am. And he was telling them about who he was. Verse 3 says, I am verily a man which am a Jew, born in Tarsus, a city in Cilicia, yet brought up in this city, and he was in Jerusalem at the time. I was brought up in Jerusalem, at the feet of Gamaliel, and Gamaliel was the best teacher, they said, in that day. He was the best tutor parents could hire to bring their, their children up with an education and the best education. I was brought up at the feet of Gamaliel and taught according to the perfect manner of the law of the fathers, and was zealous toward God as ye all are this day. He was so zealous, he was getting letters from the high priest and going to other cities, getting the Christians, capturing them, and bringing them back to Jerusalem to be killed. That's how zealous he was. And I persecuted this way. Now you have to know that the first people who were born again and believed in Jesus Christ we're called the people of the way. I am the way, Jesus said. I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life, and no man come to the Father except by me. So they called them people of the way. And he says here, and I persecuted this way unto the death, binding and delivering into prisons both men and women. Now that was Paul. That was Paul the most, had the most expensive education that a man could afford in that day. And he was out killing all the Christians he could get his hands on. Until God decided that it was time for him not to do that anymore. Turn to Galatians chapter 1. Just a few, few pages over to the right. Galatians chapter 1. 
Paul is giving his testimony in his letter to the church at Galatia. And here's what he says. Starting in verse 5. Chapter 1 of Galatians, verse 5. I'm sorry, 15. I couldn't see the one I had in front of the five. Starting with verse 15 in chapter 1. But when it pleased God, he separated me from my mother's womb and called me by his grace to reveal his son in me that I might preach him among the heathen. Immediately conferred, I immediately conferred not with flesh and blood. Now look, when Paul was struck down on the road to Damascus and blinded, they led him to Damascus. He was short ways out of town. They led him there, and God told a man named Ananias that lived in that town, look, there's a man, Paul, here, and he needs somebody to go to him and tell him and remove his blindness and tell him that God has called him to preach. And Ananias said, whoa, 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 I know that fellow. I've heard about him. He kills all of us. And you sure you want me to? He said, yes, that's what God said. That's what I want you to do. So Ananias went to Paul and healed his blindness and stood him up and told him, God has called you to preach. You're to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, the very one you've been killing folks that follow. And he said the first thing, I didn't go and ask anybody, any human, anything. I did not confer with flesh and blood. Now he's got all the people right there in, 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 in Jerusalem or in Damascus, but he didn't go to Jerusalem and ask all the apostles what about this man called Jesus? Tell me about the gospel of Jesus Christ. He didn't talk with a one of them, he said. Neither went I up to Jerusalem to them who were apostles before me, but I went into the desert of Arabia and returned again unto Damascus. Paul, after his conversion, went in the desert. Now look, that's not sand and cactus, okay? In the Bible, the desert is a place where there's no people. It's a deserted place. It could be anything. It could be grass and rocks or whatever. He's not talking about a desert, but essentially a wilderness where there's nobody. Then after three years, I went to Jerusalem to see Peter and abode with him 15 days. But other of the apostles saw I none save James, the Lord's brother. When he, after three years being taught by Jesus in the desert, in the wilderness, where there was nobody else, then Paul went to Jerusalem to see Peter. And while he was there, he saw Jesus' brother, James, who was head of the church. Now the things which I write unto you, he's talking about the letters that he wrote in our New Testament. Romans and Ephesians and Thessalonians, two of them. The two letters to Corinthians 
All of those things he wrote, he's saying, I didn't lie to you. I'm telling you the truth. Now, I know what my reputation is. But see, God has just told us, don't look on a man's appearance. Don't look on his past. Don't look on who he is. But listen to what he says. But other of the apostles saw I none, save James the Lord's brother, verse 20. Now the things which I write unto you, behold, before God, I'm not lying to you about. Afterwards I came into the regions of Syria and Cilicia, where he was born, where he's raised, and was unknown by face unto the churches of Judea which were in Christ. The Christian churches in the area of Judah, where Jerusalem was, Paul was only known by reputation. He had traveled and captured and had so many Christians killed, they all knew who he was, but they didn't know what he looked like. Unknown by face. But they had heard only that he which persecuted us in times past now preach the faith which once he destroyed. So he went to his home country and started preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. And everybody there had heard of Paul how bad he was. Look at verse 24. And they glorified God in me. They glorified God in me. After they heard him. In John chapter 7, verse 16 and 17, where we were a while ago, it said, If any man desires to do God's will, now hear me. People who want to be obedient to Jesus Christ and this scripture, this word, will know and understand the doctrine of the scriptures. God promises that. In the 18th chapter of John in verse 37, with Jesus before Pilate, Jesus says, For this end came I into the world, and for this cause I was born, that I might bear witness of the truth. That's the reason Jesus said that God planned for me to be in the world to start with, and to come here as a human, that I might tell you what the truth is, and, and, and stand witness for what truth that is. And the next thing he says was, and the people of the truth hear my voice. You hear that? There's two promises there. Number one, we as believers will hear the truth of God's word because Jesus said we would of what he said. And the other is, we'll know the difference. If we attempt to, not by looking at who's doing the talking, but by listening to what he said. And that's all that's needed. 
for a person to represent God from the pulpit in this country. They need to be a person who wants to do what God wants them to do. If they've got another agenda, we don't need to listen to them. Now let me ask you this. What's another agenda? One thing is those guys that were feeding those people in Africa, that three of them are already millionaires, that's what you call another agenda. When you Google up a TV preacher and he's living in a $7 million house, that's another agenda. If you remember, John the Baptist was the man that Jesus called the greatest prophet that ever lived. He lived in the woods. He was dressed in animal skins. At one point the Pharisees heard he was preaching and they came out there in the wilderness, in the wood, to listen to him and they were making fun of him and Jesus himself said, what did you come out here for? To see purple robes? Those are in king's palaces. That's not out here. And they put John the Baptist down, the greatest prophet Jesus said ever lived. Why? Because he wasn't dressed in $1,000 suits. He was a Nazarite, so he didn't cut his hair or shave. And he ate bugs. He lived off of locusts and grasshoppers. Now they tell me people still eat those things in the other part of the country. I've seen a lot of grasshoppers in my life and I've never seen one that I thought I'd want to eat. But John the Baptist did. And John the Baptist was chosen by God. He was one of the few people who had the Holy Spirit in him from his birth. Jesus didn't have that. But John the Baptist did. And the church people of the day didn't understand. He's not dressed right. He talks like a hillbilly, probably like me. And he eats bugs and lives off in the woods by himself. I met a preacher one time that had three master's degrees and two doctor's degrees, and he was big high on that stuff. He, he, really, he, he, he constantly talked about it from the pulpit. But he made some statements. I listened to what he said, and I carried it to a man that I knew to be 100%. I knew he knew what was going on. He was asked. He was a president of, Bi Bi of Moody Bible Institute, and he was the guy who, re, who interpreted the new standard version of the book of Hebrews. He knew Greek and Hebrew. And I said, what kind of man would make these kind of statements? He said, sounds to me like that man needs to be born again. So the only thing, the bottom line message I've got for this is, Human education is not necessary to be a pastor. It's not necessary to be a teacher, a Bible teacher. 
it's not necessary to represent God's Word and what He says. You don't have to have an education other than to be able to read and understand to be able to tell a friend of yours what your Bible says. And you represent it honestly. So don't be fooled by education. Educations are one of those things that we looked at in 1 John, the things that are of the world. They're thought highly of by people of the world. Is there anything wrong with the education? No, sir. Spent a lot of money trying to get one myself. But it was in something else. But what I'm trying to say is, nothing wrong with education, but an education does not qualify a man to represent this Bible right here. It doesn't. Don't be caught with that. And if you're ever on a, pre- a, a, a preacher selection committee, don't be impressed with a man from four states over that's got ten years of education. Because God says, that don't matter. If a man wants to do God's will, he'll know the difference between preaching what God wants him to preach and what men folks want him to preach. That's what I told this young man that came and asked me what does it what 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 I need to do to be a preacher. And the first article I saw that he read, one of the first sermons he had, was on something that is outside the Bible. It doesn't mention one single thing about it by the Bible, but the denomination he happens to be in talks about it all the time. But it's not even in the Bible. And I thought to myself, I started praying for the young man then. Because, see, he was more impressed by denominations than he was by the Holy Spirit in this word right here. So please don't be impressed by human education. As long as a person knows how to read the Bible, God can make him understand it. That's what he says. I'll make him understand it. Even the things he needs to have that he doesn't know about, I'll teach him those things, he says in Philippians. So God's in charge of all of that. Listen to what a man says. Don't look at him. And check him out with your scripture to make sure he's telling you what the scripture says. You'll be okay. The most educated group of people of Jesus' day was the Pharisees and the scribes and the lawyers. And Jesus has got one whole chapter in about the sixth chapter of Matthew says, Woe unto the Pharisees. And they're all the most educated people in the world. Think, if you will, for a minute. Peter and James and John were all fishermen. He didn't pull them out of the university. One man was a tax collector. He may have had an education. Luke was a doctor. He probably did. But what I'm trying to say is the thing that made them valuable to God 
and to God's people was not that they had an education. It was that they had the Holy Spirit of God in them telling them what to say. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your stories. I'm teaching us the real gospel of Jesus and what he said in his word. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.